leave the odor and serve. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come this morning looking to your word to instruct our hearts, to give us the teaching and insight we need to understand how the gospel relates to the issue of increasingly more holiness in our life. And so we pray that we might be taught by your Spirit, that we might see with eyes that have been illumined by your Spirit, and we pray that these things would increase your work in our hearts in such a way that the gospel will give us a loving desire to be more like Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. This coming Wednesday is a significant day, again, in my life. As I look back on the calendar, it was July the 12th, 1980, that I had the extreme pleasure of being united in marriage to Joyce Ingrid Halila. And uh, prior to that day, uh, I had been reading up about marriage and what it meant to be a husband uh, in Christ, and uh, we attended several sessions that were helpful in premarital counseling. And so I thought I was pretty well ready to be a married man. But it's interesting because when you come to the wedding itself on that day, my legal status changed instantly. Boom, I'm married. But obviously my character and my behavior as a Christian husband had a lot of catching up to do. There's a learning curve. An obvious gap exists between my new status, which was I am a husband, but there's a big difference between the idea of the role that I'm to play as a husband and actually carrying that out in my everyday life. And I would must say I'm still under construction. It's 37 years now we're coming up to. Still undergoing the long process of change that God is still working in my life, but I am so blessed, and I am indeed a very happily married man. Now, I want to think about that analogy with regard to the spiritual realm. There's a similar gap dynamic that goes on when a person becomes a Christian. Because what happened is, the moment we transfer our trust to Jesus Christ, instead of relying and trusting in ourselves and our good works and somehow our own merit before God, instead of trusting in that, we turn our back on that trust, we rely completely and only on Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection from the dead, we enter into a dramatic change with regard to God. No longer are we awaiting wrath and the just judgment of our sin that we deserve, but at that point in our life, God places his love upon us. He adopts us as his children. And the gospel of grace declares that those who are united to Jesus Christ by faith are no longer slaves. We are now sons. We are no longer sinners and considered to be sinners from that point of view, from God's point of view. We are now saints, people who have been set apart, who belong to God. And so the Christian life involves this lifelong process of change, whereby we take on the corresponding character the corresponding behavior of who we actually are in Christ. And the Christian life involves the shortening of this gap between our position in Christ and our new practices as a Christian in Christ. And so it's the idea of seeing those begin to gradually come closer and closer together. 
And so that's what we're exploring this morning. We're going to try to look at the connection between the gospel and greater holiness of life. Now I want to begin by, if you're looking at your outline there, the first point we want to start off with is to think about how the Scripture describes believers. And it's interesting how Paul describes the believers there in Corinth. If you have 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, coming up on your screen there, if you have a screen in front of you or your Bible, look at that verse quickly. But you'll notice that Paul addresses the believers there in Corinth, the second verse of the book of 1 Corinthians. He describes them as those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling, with all who are in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have been sanctified. That's interesting terminology. Now, if you know much about the church in Corinth, you know that they were not, <clears throat> shall we say, the most um, impressive group of believers in a local church. They had many issues, many areas of concern in their life. They had to be working out their character in light of uh, the difference, the gap between who they really were. But Paul insists that their status in the eyes of God is that they are set-apart ones. They belong to Jesus Christ. They are already holy in the eyes of God. From God's perspective, their sanctification was already a done deal, a once-for-all definitive act whereby God confers upon a sinner this new position, this new privileges that he, now, he or she can now enjoy. And so that's where we're talking about Point number one is we just need to understand the reality of what we call positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. What we're talking about here is the fact that there are these dramatic changes that take place because of the gospel in the life of anyone who truly is a believer when you're united to Christ by faith. And I don't have time to expand on all these things. I'm just going to briefly touch on these things because I sort of preached on this not too many weeks ago, but Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8 expound on this in a wonderful way, uh, make clear that every believer's story is essentially rewritten because of the gospel. You see, the gospel declares that everyone united to Christ has been justified, that is, we've been declared not guilty. No longer are we facing a a, uh, a, a, the reality of condemnation that we rightfully deserve. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans. And therefore, in Christ we have a new history. A new history. All the long record of wrongs that once was associated with our conduct, all of that is erased because of Christ. We are no longer defined by our past failings, no longer defined by our, our foolish choices. And Jesus' sinless life and his submissive death is considered as ours. And so we have a new um, history. We also have a new identity if we truly are united to Christ by faith. Several weeks ago, I also uh, gave out three by five cards to those who were here at that time and sort of reminding us of the new identity that believers enjoy in Christ. Because when we're joined to Christ by faith, God elevates us. 
And we now enjoy the benefits of being, as it says on the card, a new creation of great worth in the eyes of God. That we are fully pleasing to Him. We are totally accepted by Him. And therefore we are also, as the Scriptures say, we are made joint heirs with Christ. And so we have a new identity, and that's true of every believer. Thirdly, we receive a new destiny. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, a new age was inaugurated. It was begun at that moment. And because of our union to Christ by faith, we are guaranteed that we too will be raised from the dead. And we are also promised that there's power given to us, there's help and assistance given to us, so that we can live in newness of life as the Holy Spirit lives inside every true believer. If we don't understand how the gospel has rewritten our story, then we're not going to be properly motivated to move toward greater holiness of life. And so that's why I've given you, I think, a helpful quote here at this point in your notes that I think tries to explain how holiness relates to being united to Christ by faith in the gospel. We pursue holiness as a Christian, not for grace, but from grace. That's such a difference to understand that. We pursue holiness not for grace, but from grace. When Joyce and I got married 37 years ago, we exchanged rings. I've still got mine. She's still got hers. This gold ring, interestingly enough, uh, belonged to a relative of her father uh, who was a Finnish man. We don't know who this gentleman was, but somehow her father had this ring in his possession, and it has engraved in it the date 1903. And uh, so I have been glad to wear this ring because this ring was indeed significant as part coming from her family side, and I bestowed upon her the ring that belonged to my paternal grandmother, her wedding band, and uh, the rings that we exchanged at that point are, of course, symbols that we know uh, of the vows that we exchanged that day and of our identity, that we are now husband and wife. And so we belong to each other for life. And that's why the ring is still here, right on my finger. We also received a marriage certificate at that time to verify to anyone who needs to know we have the proof that we are no longer just boyfriend and girlfriend. We are husband and wife before God and before the state. And so our history of singlehood is over. We have numerous reminders and indicators of that. We have a new history of life together. And essentially, I think that's what we celebrate as we gather for the Lord's Supper. Whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's what we're doing, is we're reminding every believer of the remarkable benefits that are ours in the gospel. And God has not given us what we earned. He has not given us what we deserve. According to His grace, we have a new history in Christ. We have a new identity in Christ. We have a new destiny in Christ. And so I raise the question to you this morning, who are you? What is your identity? Who are you before God? How does God view you? In the gospel, he views you entirely differently 
if you've never come to him by faith and repentance, it's so much different if you've come in repentance and faith. What is God's view of you is the key question. I wonder if you could say, is it true that Colossians 3.12 applies to you this morning? Paul describes the believers there as those who are chosen of God, holy, which means set apart and belonging to God, and beloved, dearly loved. What a blessing to be a believer and to have that, those gifts given to us. That's what we understand is positional sanctification. Now I want to move to the second point. If we understand that clearly, what are some of the responses then involved in another concept here taught in Scripture having to do with moving toward holiness, and that is progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification. Every child of God goes through a process of change by which we learn to live in accordance with our new status and our new position. And this is what we call progressive sanctification. The first, again, we call positional sanctification, which refers to the idea of the once a person is born again and believes on Christ, that happens one time in life. But progressive sanctification refers to a lifelong process. It's something that continues on for a long period of time as we work out holiness in daily life. So let's listen to a couple of scripture passages that refer to this um, outworking process. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews 10. Here we read, For by one offering... God has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you hear there's a process going on there? Hebrews 10, 14. Then we also read in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, that familiar text that says, We are being transformed into Christ's likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. We are being transformed. There you hear the process, the continuous uh, change that's going on. And then, of course, there are numerous examples in the New Testament of the encouragement to pursue holiness in life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So Christians are called again and again to lessen this gap between our position in Christ and the practice of holiness. And these are examples of that we read in the New Testament. Now what I'd like to do here is really something that I should not do, but I'm going to try it anyway. I'm going to try to skip through quickly, overview briefly, three insights from Romans 6 about some of the... the, um, the responses that are appropriate to make in light of the gospel in terms of a strategy to help us move in this process to shortening the gap between who we are and what we uh, need to be in Christ in terms of holiness. And those, first of, the first strategy is found in verse 11 of Romans 6. So if you don't have your Bible clearly open to one text, here's our text. I'm going to be here just for the next few minutes of Romans 6. The first thing we want to say is we want to change our thinking about the old you. Change your thinking about the old you. Look what Paul says here 
in light of the fact that we're joined to Christ by faith, we've shared in his death. He said in verse 11, you must consider or regard yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now what I have here is two volumes, if we were to think of this as biographies of my life. And so we have volume number one, let's move it this way, this is my volume of my life, but the story of my old self. And this is the volume two. This is the story of my new self. And so if you think about the volume one, the story of my old self, it's the story of me before conversion. And so in this volume, we have the story of what my life was characterized by. It ended in death because in my life as a sinner, I deserved to die, and I did die in Christ. By being joined to Christ, I died with him, and therefore my union with Christ is recorded in this first volume. In this new story, the new story of my new self, I'm made a new creation in Christ. And it's amazing to think about the difference here. Instead of what I deserve to receive here, I was joined to Christ, I was, enjoyed the benefits of that, now I've been made a new creation in Christ. And my old life, having finished, my new life has begun. In volume one, my life was characterized by a number of sinful patterns of thinking and choices, of behaviors. And now in volume two, with my conversion, it starts with my conversion and now has continued on. It doesn't record some perfect guy who never does anything wrong. No, no. But it is indicating that there is a newness in, his, in my life. Things are not the way they used to be. And so what Paul is saying is, Paul is reiterating in this particular point, he says, it's changing the way we think about our old self. And so Paul, in light of his background, realized that there was a lot of things in his background he did not want to focus on, and he should stop focusing on those. He was a person who had an out-of-control, violent temper, and he was involved in using his influence, his authority, to persecute members of the church, to ruin their lives, to destroy their lives as much as he could. And Paul, instead of focusing on all the things that were wrong in his life, all the wrong passions, all the wrong commitments he had, he says, that's old. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, he says, by the grace of God, I am who I am. He says, I'm not the old self I used to be. I am now in a new self. There's a new story written about my life. I am who I am by the grace of God. And so it has to do with thinking of ourselves in a different way. None of us is who we wish to be. Or none of us are. How do you say that? Anyway, none of us are the way we wish to be. None of us are what we will be one day. But thank God if you're a believer, none of us are what you used to be. There's a change that's happened. And we need to keep telling ourselves that volume one is closed. It has been written. It's done. We're now in volume two, the story of your new self. And it's inconceivable, if you're living in volume two, that you should want to reopen volume one and go back and relive this. Now, once I got married... At that point, I had a choice. 
I could enter into the realm of married life, which I did with great joy and great delight. But it's true, could I have lived as a single man even though I was married? I guess you could say, yes, I could. But in my mind, that's unthinkable because life with my wife is wonderful. Why would I want to go and live like a single man, a bachelor? And so the idea is that, indeed, the blessing of being in that is to return back to that kind of life is unthinkable. Therefore, to go back to my old life is unthinkable as a believer. I have now put that behind me. Secondly, Paul says, verse 12, the gospel calls us to stop allowing sin to control our actions. Verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its desires, its lusts. He's not just talking about sexual lust here, he's talking about desires. So just, become, just because we become a believer, let's be clear here, just because you become a believer does not mean that our struggle with sin is somehow over. Nope, the new self is still struggling with the flesh. It continues on. If you, don't take, if you don't take my word for it, then read Romans 7, where Paul very clearly talks about there's a struggle between what I intend and want to do versus what I actually do. So Paul acknowledges that's a struggle he's also dealt with. But before we were saved, we were under the mastery of sin. Sin was our master. And again and again, in our old self, we caved into the demands and to the passions that sin aroused. And we had little to no resistance of his dominance over us. But things have changed now because of Jesus Christ. We have a new master. And sin's control, sin's power has been broken. And Christ as the new master now takes up residence within us and by his Holy Spirit gives us new abilities and new abilities to respond differently than we used to. And therefore, our inner nature has been altered and changed. We now have new options. We now have new desires. We now have new resources to bring to bear when we're dealing with situations that present themselves to us. We have new ways of responding. And so what Paul's saying here in the second point is, don't just be passive and throw your hands up and say, oh, I can't do anything. I'm being encouraged by, by sin to go the wrong way, to give in to my old habits, to do the things that my flesh wants me to do. And so he says, listen, don't be defenseless and just act like you have no resources. You have lots of resources to appeal to and to take advantage of. There's a way out now. There's an abundance of reasons and resources to help you throughout, through, to escape the trap that you so easily kept falling into before in your old self and the old story. And that leads me now to my third point here, very quickly. One is about our minds, about thinking about our old self. The other one has to do with the fact that we no longer are just going to sit back and passively let things happen. And thirdly, he now says, verse 13, the third component of the strategy, shaped by the gospel, is we are not to go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Making progress in holiness is more likely to take place when we do this, when we yield ourselves to God 
rather than to sin. Yield ourselves to God rather than to sin. And what he's saying now is, he says if on a continuous basis, continually we present ourselves to God, say, Lord, here I am, I'm yours. Here I am with my hands, here I am with my ears, here I am with my eyes, here I am with my mouth, here I am with my feet, I am yours today. Use me. Help me. I'm yours and to follow you and to yield to your leading in my life. That is going to provide all sorts of benefits to us as we break the habits of our normal response system we once had in our life. Now we have no longer a response to our evil master sin. Now our life pattern if we follow those promptings, is going to lead us in a direction. And Paul gives several reasons why. You don't want to be presenting yourselves now to your old master because it leads ultimately to the ruination of any kind of life. What are we talking about? Well, if we don't surrender ourselves to our gracious and new merciful master, you become ourselves enslaved to something or someone. Right? I think it's Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. So we're all either serving uh, uh, the master of our sin and our flesh or we're serving our master, Lord Jesus Christ. Some people are enslaved to money. And this master has led them into all sorts of evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6 reminds us that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for this money, have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many a pang. That does not sound like a very good direction in life to go into. And those who have enslavement to money find themselves living a life of discontentedness, of greed, of all sorts of covetousness in their heart, a materialistic lifestyle all about gaining the things of this world, they have no problem with stealing. Uh, they have no, no concern or compassion and no desire to do anything about the oppression of the poor. They find themselves living comfortably with hardened hearts because of those kinds of bondage. And then there are other people who are enslaved to sex. And this bondage re results in all sorts of Again, negative consequences and results of STDs, of abortion, of pornography, broken marriages. The sad reality that we read about in our culture today of date rape and how through this kind of process, the dehumanization of women, they become objects. All these things begin to see the, the consequences of that kind of bondage, that kind of enslavement. Others are enslaved to power. They've got to be in control. And this results then in the kinds of worsening of the level of pride within their lives. And they can become people who are conceited and who are strongly motivated by selfish conceit and ambition. And they have all sorts of relational breakdown in their lives. They're, 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 uh, people that, they're, that are connected to them relationally are in, in disarray. And oftentimes they're known to be people who are critical in their spirit. All they find is fault with everyone else. How do we break free from these idols? How do we break free from having hearts that are enslaved 
And I'm convinced the answer is finding satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And I've given you a quote there in the notes from John Piper, a helpful quote, I think, because he says, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a a distaste for sin because of a superior satisfaction in God. A superior satisfaction in God. Let me tell you something. Once I entered a buried life, there were a lot of changes I needed to make. Those changes have been a delight. They have been a blessing in my life. They have made my life better. And I have all the more motivated to continually change. I realized that one of the things I needed to change was how I used my words with my dear wife. I realized I needed to continually remind her and tell her I love you. And to tell her how much I appreciate her and how, how much I admire her beauty. Yesterday we were at this funeral. Ran into a former member here in our church. And this gentleman said, not once, not twice, three times I think, when we're standing there, my wife and I stand there talking, you really look lovely. He kept saying that to my wife. I'm like, this man is telling my wife he looks lovely. I don't know how many times I've told her I look, that she looked lovely today, yesterday. What else do I need to present my, that's differently once I'm married? I learned that I, could, I needed to be much more attuned with my ears and listening to what my wife says, not to tune her out. I had a terrible habit of that. I just tune out any kind of suggestions or comments or things that were I perceived as being criticisms. I don't even listen to that. But in a relationship in which I now am enjoying the benefits of being a married man, I realize this is the one that I more than delight in yielding my life to. I present myself to her, and I say, I belong to you. And so I delight in giving her foot rubs, because that's what she appreciates. She has challenging feet, issues that are associated with that. And on and on it goes. What's my point here? My point is, in view of God's mercies, bestowed upon us in the gospel, it makes perfect sense to present yourself to God every day. And in doing that, you have to think a little bit more, what am I listening to today? What am I talking about today? What am I posting online today? What is the focus of my thought life today? What am I looking at today? Lord Jesus, I belong to you. I give myself to you. If that is your mindset, you're going to find yourself making a lot better choices in life in light of the greatness and the wonder and the glory of who you are in Christ. Jesus bought you with his blood. He has set you apart for him if you're truly in Christ. You are his beloved child. You come to him for his forgiveness, for his cleansing, for his help, and his commands are not burdensome. They are for your benefit and for my benefit. And so we remember Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And we are sanctified in him if we are a true believer. And we are continually being sanctified in him by his grace and through the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, it is our prayer this morning that as we think of the the wonders of your gracious work in the redemption of Christ, Lord, how could we 
who have been bought at such a price trivialize that which put Christ on that cross? How can we minimize the egregious nature of sin? How can we overlook, Lord, the level of heinousness of our rebelliousness and our pride and our sin? Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the benefits and privileges and joys that are given to us through the gospel of a new identity, a new history. And we pray that you would give us, Lord, a heart's desire to want to yield ourselves to you, every part of ourselves, that we would do so delight, delighting in you, rejoicing in you, so grateful for the grace that you've shown us and the love you've placed upon us. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who are struggling with some sin in their life, some area of their everyday experience that perhaps may be hidden. It may be an internal struggle that not too many people know about. But Lord, I pray that today you would show them insight, in helping them to focus on the wonders of the gospel and helping them to see who they are and to shorten that gap between who they need to become in their character in working out the gospel in their life. Work these things in us, we pray. If there's anyone here today, Lord, who doesn't ever come to Christ and has never had this new identity given to them, we pray that they too would understand the wonders of the grace found in Christ and receive him today as their Lord and Savior. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.